together post-COVID, and we're trying to relearn, kind of like spring training in sports, like relearn how how it is we're going to do what we're going to do as the church, what it means to be a Christian. So basic foundational truths to Christianity. And so uh, 1 John is a great place to start from, especially if you're new to the faith or if you're very confused as to what it means to be a Christian uh, right now. And even if you've been in the church for a long time, 1 John is a great place to go to just to kind of get the basics of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ and what that means for your life. And so that's what John's doing here uh, with his congregation. He's writing to a church, most people think in like the modern day Turkey area. And this is, this is what he says. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It is our practice here at Redeemer to spend a few moments in silence before I pray. I always pray before I preach. And part of what we're asking God to do is for him to send his spirit to light up or illuminate his word to our hearts. And so uh, just because I'm praying with the mic, I don't want you to disengage. I actually want you to pray with me uh, silently and ask God to come and make his word light up for us today. Let's pray. Father, you say that uh, your word is a lamp to our feet, and it says here in our text today that uh, you are light, that you uh, make things visible to us, that you um, show us truth, that you uh, expose lies. And Lord, we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would do that not just... Um, outside of ourselves, but internally in our own hearts. Lord, we're all this mixed bag of, of uh, truth and lies. And so, Lord, help us to untangle some of that today. And we ask by the Holy Spirit that you would show us, mainly that you would show us Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from sin, and that you would help us to uh, gaze at his beauty, to gaze at the truth of, of the gospel today um, and to cleanse us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, how do we believe in God? Three points today. Um, who is God? Who are we? And who are you? Those are the three questions that this passage helps us answer. And so point one who is God? Very simply, verse 5, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So John's a poet, he's a storyteller, and he says the very first thing out of the gate about who God is, is that he is light. 
Um, the, the eclipse, remember, four, was it four years ago? The eclipse happened. Uh, and the, the thing about an eclipse is like it doesn't look like it's bright outside. But if you were to look directly at the sun, even though it's covered, what happens to your retina? They burn, right? They're they're damaged. And so we all had these goofy glasses on and we're looking up at the sun in the middle of the day. And that's the biblical theme here that's being emphasized. John is emphasizing that God's truth is like searing light because the truth emanates from him. That it's it's, uh, like in some ways, it's so bright that you can't even take it in. That's sort of the idea behind God's uh, presence and his glory in the Old Testament. And in verse five, John is saying that this is the message that nothing about God is uh, is hidden when it comes to truth. He is not in the dark. He is illuminatory in his very nature. Now, this is and has always been one of the greatest objections to belief in God. Even even the scriptures themselves wrestle with this. The Psalms constantly say, if there is a God, why is there so much darkness in the world? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much wickedness? Why is there so little evidence of his existence at all? And part of what the Bible says about that is that even in suffering, we can't even complain without proving his existence. That by his light, we see anything at all to even complain about. This was part of the point of the book of Job. Job actually finds comfort because he says, at least at least I have somebody to take my complaint to. Because if there is no God, who am I going to complain to? By the very act of refuting and questioning God's goodness, he maintains us in order for us to complain. And here's where John starts. Uh, It is God who illuminates it is God who is not us that he is pre-existent the origins this is part of the point of the first verse in his letter uh, Jesus Christ is the origins of all things made known to us that we could touch in bodily form he was manifested to us This is exactly what the scriptures do when it comes to the existence of God. It assumes God. So think about God's name in the Old Testament. Yahweh means I am. The very being itself. And it is humanity that has this sort of schizophrenic nature of light and darkness that's within us. That's different than God. God's not like that. Where we say... You know, I think I know it's true, but it's hard for me not to twist the truth for my own reasons and for my own ways that even sometimes can be self-destructive. Part of how you know this is like sort of embedded within our blood is that you don't have to you don't have to if you have children, you have to teach your children to lie. You know, Uh, they just do it naturally. You don't have to teach your children not to like stick their finger in. You know, the electrical socket. That's why you do those little, you know, covers. Uh, Because we're naturally inclined uh, towards darkness. And John says here, there are several ways that we distort what it means to be in a relationship with God. And he's giving us three categories to know 
what we actually believe about God. And it's sort of like a self-assessment that you can do on yourself uh, today through this passage. And so point one, God is light. Point two, uh, who are, are we? Um, if humans were created in God's image and we are part of his creation, we must in some ways live according to the design for ourselves in order for us to be free and to be truly liberated as human beings. Uh, to live in the light of community with God, we must, what verse 6 calls, practice truth. Okay? Here's part of what I think that means. Uh, many of you have probably heard me use this example before. Um, this is, once you become a preacher and you're preaching for like a decade, you just use the same illustrations over and over again. So I'm sorry. I'm trying not to be lazy. But um, if you have to grant me a lot for this analogy, but since this is one of Jocelyn's last, where's Jocelyn? It's one of your last weeks. Let's say your cello could be an animated and I could talk to your cello and it liked to jump off this podium and break into like 10 different pieces and assemble itself back together and continue to do that over and over and over again. And I could talk to the cello and I said, cello, what are you doing? And it said, I'm jumping off this podium. What does it look like I'm doing? And I said, but that's not what you were meant to do. You were meant to be uh, played, you know, bowed. I don't know how you say it in cello lingo. Um, th this is the, the testimony of scripture about human beings. And this is the sad part. Um, is that we go, as human beings, we go against our true design and nature when, when we want to do our own thing. And it's like jumping off a podium continually. It's self-destructive, and it comes out in all sorts of ways in our lives. The commands of God in our lives lead us to be free, to operate according to our design, but we get confused as human beings, and we think, no, I want to do life my own way, even though I know it's destructive. And that touches every single human being whether you're a child or an old person, and it is at play in all of our lives at all times. And John breaks down uh, people into three different categories in our passage, and he says there are two types of non-believers and one type of believer. There's two types of people that walk in the dark and one type of person that walks in the light. One commentator said a person's profession must be tested in its relation to the fundamental truth that God is light and in its bearing on their behavior. OK, and so God is light means freedom is found when you live your life in the exposure of who he is. That you assume his reality informs how you act and think and speak. So one question to ask yourself, and again, this applies to everybody. Uh, do I make decisions in my life assuming that God is real? And that he sees me. And that he has a say in how I live. I know that that seems very rudimentary and like basic, 
but it is very, very easy to forget. Do I live with the assumption that God, like right now, that God is real and that he sees me in the exposure of who he is. He sees me and he's testing me and he's watching if I'm going to jump off this podium again. The two types of people that live a lie are those who profess that they have a relationship with God, but walk in darkness. This would be called like a hypocrite. You know, when you say you believe something, but you don't live like you say that you believe, there's a difference. Verse six. But then the strange counterpart, one of the unique things about Christianity is that we also lie to ourselves if we, in verse 8, claim to have no sin at all. And this is the great thing about Christianity, that like we, we can't be hypocrites, but we also can't say that there isn't any sin in us. And so there's this beautiful balance here. And this is the test that you can give yourself. You know, there's these two types of non-believers. Do you profess to believe in God? And does it really have any... Uh, way to inform the reality of your life, your behavior. You know, this is a lot of times the, the lie that exists in our world today. When people want to be spiritual but not religious is how it kind of comes out. Um, and then those who think that sin really isn't a thing. Like it's just not that big of a deal. Uh, people want to believe in a God of love. And so just you do you. And both of those have some level of truth to them. And that's what makes it hard to discern what's a lie and what's not. And that's why John is writing his letter. He's affirming, this is what he's doing, uh, because these these folks would later become uh, Gnostics, which was a heresy in, in the early church. But he's affirming the good aspect of a heresy. He's using their language. And he's saying, this this part's good, this part's not. And he's like any good pastor, he's protecting his congregation from lies that would be self-destructive to them. And he says, you need to walk in the light. Verse seven. And this is what somebody that walks in the light looks like. They have fellowship or community with one another. And they have fellowship and community with God. That they are exposed. They live a life of exposure Towards one another and towards God. Everything's bright. Everything's open. One of the main ways you know you've experienced the truth of God is if you want to stay together with the whole and not recede off from the community in isolation. Very important for us in in the West. There was this group of people that was connected to this church. They were basically saying that they were better thinkers And that they were more enlightened than the normal crowd of the church. And so they were persuading some in John's congregation to leave the broader community of believers and to come come like be a part of their like exclusive way. And they liked words like logos and knowledge and light. And here's how John addresses this problem. And it's one of the most unique ways to address any problem. John begins to talk about. Uh, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And he says, the blood of Christ cleanses us 
from our sins. And I want us to just think about why he would do that. There's a profound way that he's showing the wisdom of what it means to be a pastor in this text. And it, it, it'll floor you if you think it through. And I want to give you an example before I talk about why exactly he's doing that. There's a, a pastor named Eugene Peterson who uh, used to pastor a church in Maryland back in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he said in his presbytery, when uh, new pastors would get ordained, they would have to be grilled by people in the presbytery asking them what their thoughts were on like hot topics in the culture back in the 60s and 70s. And they would say, you know, where do you stand on this particular issue or where do you stand on that particular issue? And he said that there was this one pastor in a small town out in Maryland who um, always asked the same question. And he was one of these like goofy looking pastors that had like a Looney Tune tie on and everyone was kind of embarrassed by him. But after they were grilled with all these sort of like relevant questions, he would stand up and say, um, where do you stand on the blood of Christ? And he said at, at first, when he became a part of this presbytery, he was kind of a, a little bit embarrassed and annoyed that he kept asking that question. But then he said over the decades especially as issues evolved and changed, he be, and, and people began to leave the ministry, uh, he began to see the beauty of that question. And here's the deep logic that John is giving us. And we will miss the very core of the gospel if we don't see it. John is saying that if you have true community with God and with one another, the atoning forgiveness of God must be the basis for it or it will fail. Like that's where you must stand. That's where the root is. That's where the central core is. Atonement simply means payment that we owe God perfect obedience. And if we're following John's logic here, we were meant to walk in the light. But the problem with us is that we don't like the light. Like every human being outside of Christ wants to recede from God. We want to hide from God. We don't want to be exposed by him. But the problem is we were literally made to be in God's presence. And so the question is, what do we do with that? Because it's in all of us. What do we do? And again, this is, this is the unique thing about the gospel. This is the unique thing about Christianity. At this point, you don't do anything. It is God's doing, not ours, that is the foundation of belief in him. And that's why every time you confess your sin, he's not just, you need to think about this. God's not just faithful to forgive us of our sins, but it, it's just for him to do that. It's right. Like this is the thing that, that Jesus is most eager to do. To, to forgive you, especially when you have been exposed. Meaning, you probably understand the gospel best when you feel the worst about yourself and you simultaneously look to Jesus. That's, what, that's when the gospel begins to, to become solid in your heart. Jesus. And th this, is so this is so peculiar. You know you're beginning to believe in God, when your own sin begins to move you closer to Christ. 
That's how it works. That's how the gospel works. That when it gets even worse and worse and worse and worse, you're pushed more and more and more close to Christ himself. That's how you know you've met the real Jesus. That's the deep wisdom that John is using, that the blood of Christ cleanses you. Most of us, when, when we feel like our sin is just too big, most of us, we just indulge more and just like, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm toast. Or, or we're like, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to do that again. And then we become prideful that we're not going to participate in that behavior. Or we just receive from the community and we say, those religious people are, are dumb and naive. Like this group was doing in John's church that he's writing to. And John says, you know you're walking in the light. If when your sin is exposed, you find Jesus beautiful. When your sin is exposed, you get closer to him. The reason why is because Jesus, well, his blood is different than ours. There is no mixture in his blood. Our blood has a mixture of light and darkness in it, but Jesus' blood is pure. Hebrews calls it heaven's blood. That's why it's eternal. It's heaven's blood, and that, that's better than indulgence. It's better than restraint. It's better than isolation or retreat because Jesus is the light of the world, which you, which you most deeply need, which is the only thing that satisfies. This is why Christians make a big deal about blood. I know it's weird, but that's why. Look, there, there's another type of Christian that uh, the letter of John mentions in this book that we're, we'll discuss later. But it's those who don't think they're Christians, but they actually are. And uh, we'll get to that later on in the series. But for now, uh, we're going to move on to the third point. Who are you? So who is God God's light? Who are we? It's three types. Uh, who are you? And as you think about this, as you think about God being light, as you think about whether you walk in the dark or the, or the light, you, you may say, okay, I understand the basic premise here. God's light. He's consistent. He doesn't change. Uh, I don't really, to be honest, I don't really know what category I would fall into. I'm, I mean, you know, you, you may say, I, I want to be in the light, but to be honest, I'm just a mess. I'm a mess. I do things I wish I would not have done, like maybe every five minutes. And if we're being honest, I, I feel like a hypocrite most of the time. Especially if I like call myself a Christian, I'm not even sure what that name means anymore. Um, listen, if that's you, I just want to encourage you with a question right now. Um, does a true hypocrite typically know that he or she is a hypocrite? If you're tired of doing things that you wish you wouldn't have done and thinking things that you wish you wouldn't think, what do verse 7 and 9 say? It says that he will make you clean. That's why he came. What that means is that there, there's somebody on the outside of you affirming you, showing you the truth and the light. And we, we all need voices on the outside to come in and tell us you're on the right path. Keep going. 
We literally live for that affirming voice. And if we don't ever get it, we go crazy. It's a, it's a lie in our culture right now that all you need is to, to look inside and affirm yourself. That's a lie. You need an outside voice. You need God himself to tell you, you are clean. And I'm proud of you. And he can do that through Christ. If you, if you make a piece of art and, and you know it's awesome and it's beautiful, um, but no one ever tells you that it's awesome or beautiful. Joy is only accomplished. It's only complete when it's shared. And you need to know that you make God joyful. If you don't have that, you will walk through this life scared and you will not expose yourself. And when the forgiveness of Jesus comes into your life, that outside voice of God, it, it changes you. It changes how you interact with other people and it changes entire communities. It's the basis for community, true community. It, it makes you the most unique group of people in any age because the whole premise of this type of community is that if we hurt each other, which we will, if we sin against each other, which is inevitable, according to this passage, what do we do? We forgive. We don't recede away from each other. We move towards. But we actually experience the gospel when that happens. We are the embodied gospel when that happens. Christ's very body. The exposure of sin is what the light of God was meant for. It's just perfect that the sun, you know, comes out when you're talking about light, you know. It's never to shame you. It's to save you. And if you don't think that sin is that big of a deal, your own sin, the gospel is going to become stale. And you won't see the need for blood. But the counter to that is that you won't live fully exposed because you'll have to protect your image. And you have to be real busy. And what this passage is saying is that image is a lie. Let it die. And walk into the light. This passage is the reason why stuff like Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability has become so widely popular. It's because exposed vulnerability is a saving grace. Because to be exposed and loved at the same time is the experience of salvation. It is the note that rings most true in the gospel to our hearts. And it's truer than being alone. It's truer than the darkness. It's truer than hiding. And I believe what John is doing here with his congregation is he, he's dealing with this sort of uber, you know, enlightened group that's trying to like bring some of the congregation out to their way. And he, he's saying, he, and he talks like an old man, remember? He's like, little children, he'll say that later. Little children, they have a lot to say. These enlightened people, they, they, they talk a lot, but they are cleansed just like anyone else is cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God came in the flesh to deal with it. The question for us is, 
who are you? Are you a light walker or are you a dark dark walker? Are you wallowing in your sin right now? Are you indulging in your sin right now? Are you jumping off the podium? Or are you trying really, really, really hard? Because neither one is the gospel. The gospel is gazing at Jesus. Forgetting yourself because you're lost in Christ. I want you to imagine a world uh, full of humble people that don't know how kind they actually are. Only the gospel can produce that type of person and that type of community, the one that we want to be, through the exposure of God himself. To walk in the light of God can only last if you actually want him. And the beautiful thing about God is that he can make you want him. He can show you a better way. But you must start again with him once you feel strung out over doing life your own way. And let's be honest, that happens about every day. It happens about every week. That's why the gospel is just as much for Christians as it is non-Christians. We always come back to the table. That it is the thing that sustains you over the long haul. It's the thing that brought you in to begin with, which is the blood of Christ. How do we believe? Um, through Jesus, through his blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh,